Well, welcome this morning. So good to see you. So glad uh, that you have joined us. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney. And just as Katie said, uh, we know that each and every week it's someone's first time. So if this is your first time, welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. If I hadn't had a chance to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. Well, we're continuing part three of our series called Empowered, and we are learning to uh, discover more about the person of the Holy Spirit, how he can lead and guide us in everyday life. And we've been looking uh, in the word to what Jesus says. Uh, Many of us have a background, an understanding of the Holy Spirit, maybe from our experience, maybe from the heritage we were raised in. But we're looking actually in the book of Acts. We've been looking and going, okay, what does Jesus say about who the person of the Holy Spirit is? Is And he's been explaining to us that this person is an individual who is a helper. He's an advocate. He's a comforter. He's someone who comes and he helps on our behalf. He actually, the word says that he is an advantage. And so we have this advantage. And what we're beginning to understand that the person of the Holy Spirit is a very real person who wants to be active in our lives. What, what uh, amazes me is this is... For many of us, depending on how we grew up, we don't recognize or realize the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a study that shows 58% of Christians, not just general populace, 58% of Christians actually believe the Holy Spirit is just a symbol. He's more than just a symbol. He's a person that is the advantage, the help, and the comforter that we need. So what does it look like? To be empowered. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, Romans chapter 8, verse 4. But before we get there, on our way there, we're going to look at a scripture that's kind of been our overarching scripture for this series. And it's in Acts 1.8. And Jesus, these are his words before he ascends to heaven to be with the Father. And this is what he says. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying there is power that I want to give you to be a witness. We learned last week that there is this God-given power. It's power for a purpose. There's a God-given purpose that God has for you. And there's a purpose in which he wants you to live out. You can live on purpose with purpose in everyday life. And so there's this empowerment that comes, and and we've kind of been looking, really, it's almost kind of like this little mini-series in the book of Acts as we're discovering the person of the Holy Spirit and this God-given purpose. Because when you think about purpose and living purpose for every day, I think back to what we talked about when we started the year. The word for the year was grow. That I wanted you and I wanted us to grow in our relationship with God. 2020 had so many things that as much as it may have frustrated us, we're out of our control. So we said, we're going to focus on what we can control. And what we can control is this, is we can control how we are going to engage with our relationship with God and how we can grow spiritually. When I think about the growth that's happened in my life, the majority of that growth has always been tied to my relationship with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's who Jesus said he's giving as the advantage to help and empower me to be and do what he's called me to be and do. So you think about that growth. You think about the early church. 
The early church in Acts, it says that the Holy Spirit was working and moving. Remember, we all have a background of what we think the Holy Spirit, who He is, and, and how He works and operates. But when you look in the early church, one of the significant aspects of the Holy Spirit working was people giving their life to Christ. The Bible says that people were added. The church was growing in number day by day by day. You see, there's an empowerment that begins to happen. I think of this as I think about and celebrate all that God did at high school camp this past week. I mean, I'm hearing story after story after story. So many high school students, 17 high school students gave their life to Jesus, okay, at high school camp. Yeah, that's some place to get excited. And I'm talking, like, I haven't even been able to get all the stories. I'm hearing bits and pieces. I was talking to a mom before the first service. She was telling me, I said, I, was, I can't even tell you, Pastor Chris. I'm about to, she's about to start crying. She didn't even tell me anything. I'm just about to start crying because she's crying. She's like, God did a work in my kids. After service, I went out. There was a young lady who met me with her mom. Her mom's like, you got to tell him. Yeah, I'm like, okay, what happened, you know? And so she, she said, I was at camp. God called me to ministry at camp this past week. What is that? That is the Holy Spirit working and moving. Can I tell you something? The future looks bright. And not only does the future look bright because of what God's doing in a generation, the present day looks bright because he's raising up a generation that's understanding what it looks like to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to make a difference on their campus, to not be dictated and ruled by what culture and society and social media says, but say, no, I'm going to live a different way because I'm going to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm grateful not only that my children, but all of our children get to grow up in a house like this where they understand and learn what this looks like. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. What is that? We want them to grow. We want you to grow. I want to grow. Well, where does that come from? It's the Holy Spirit. He helps us. He empowers us. So when you think about the words that we've been, been, been looking over and reading, and you think about this process, week one, we, we, we talked about the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, right? How, how He works and how He operates and how He moves and, and, the, and, and who He is as a person. Last week, we talked about this empowerment, right? This empowerment for a purpose. God's given you a purpose to make a difference, to be a witness, and it's the Holy Spirit empower, that, that empowers you. And this week I want to talk about something, honestly, is a little hard. It's a little hard to like kind of measure, to explain. And what I want to talk to you about today is how we are led by the Holy Spirit. How we're led by the Holy Spirit. You may think, well, I mean, help me with that. Like, how do I measure that? What does that look like? Is, is that for someone who's just super spiritual? Is that, is that what, what does that actually mean? You see, we're all going to come to a moment in our life where we're going to look to be led by someone other than ourselves. We're going to come to the end of our self, okay? But, but when you look at life and you look at, at culture, when you even look at Western Christianity, you, it's all about, if not careful, it can be centered around, I'm the, I'm the master of my, my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to go. But what's happening is this. At a certain point, if you're the captain of your fate and your soul, you're going to come to a place where you don't know what to do and it's beyond you. Where do you turn? You see, we do that in everyday life. 
You just got a new position. Now you're a high-level exec, so you get an executive coach. You're wanting to grow and expand your ability, so you got a life coach. Maybe you're in a challenging moment, so you reach out to a pastor or you get counseling. All of those things in and of themselves are not bad. But can I tell you something? We have a life coach. We have the best life coach that you can ever have. We have an advantage and a comforter in the person of the Holy Spirit that can empower us and help us if we will let him lead us. Okay, that sounds great, right? You're like, all right. Pastor Chris, that's cool. All right, lead. All right, what does that look like? How do we do that? You you can feel a little confused, frustrated. You're you're mildly excited about it, but still a little uncertain. It's kind of like putting together furniture. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever put together furniture, right? You, You can remember when you first got married. And, and, you know, early on in marriage, sometimes you got like hand-me-down furniture, right? We got that. Wendy and I, our first sofa was my parents' first sofa. Okay, well, they'd been married, I don't, know, I don't know how many years prior to us getting married. So, you know, they had a, when my house, they had this like sofa cover on it. So it was like floral design. It was, I didn't like it then. And then all of a sudden they give it to Wendy. They take it off and it's like this lime green and it's like tattered and, and it's like orange under the lime ground. I'm like, this is terrible. That was our sofa. You know, then I walked into anthropology one day with Wendy. She's shopping, and there was a tattered, yellow-looking sofa like mine. It was like $10,000. I was like, $10,000? I was like, can we sell ours for $10,000? I mean, that's like, it's like ripped jeans, you know? It's like, you know, you don't have to pay man. I'll rip them for you. My kids are like, can I have ripped jeans? Yeah, bring them over here. Come here. I'll tear them up. You know, you don't have to pay extra for that. I'll do it for free, baby. Come here. And, and, and then you kind of you, you find yourself, right? You know, early days of marriage, you start buying furniture. Thank God for Ikea, right? Because Ikea, the furniture kind of looks a little cool, but, you know, it's, it's priced fairly reasonable. And you like Ikea right up until you get home and you pull out the directions and you're like, what? Is this in another language? Actually, it is. You know, I think it's Swedish, you know, whatever. It's like, what is happening? You can't make sense of anything. And so you're just trying to put it together. And then your wife walks in and goes, baby, I thought we bought a chest of drawers. Why do we have a bookcase? I I don't know, but maybe we can have two bookcases because there's extra pieces over there, you know. You're like, I don't even know what's happening. So what do you do? You just, it doesn't make sense to you. It's unfamiliar. So you disregard the directions and you just try and figure it out on your own. And maybe, just maybe, you put it together and you don't have any extra pieces, but it looks a little more like a bookcase when it should have always been a chest of drawers. You see, our engagement and our interaction with the person of the Holy Spirit and what it looks like to be led, that's what it can feel like because we're uncertain. But I want you to know, this is what, here's why it's so important that we're talking about this. Because when we're led, we feel strong. We feel empowered. You feel confident. You feel like, okay, I'm moving in the right direction. I have the plans and I can put this together, not in my own strength. Someone who knows better than I do has kind of laid out a plan for me and how to do this. As opposed to when you feel lost. You ever been lost before? You feel weak. You feel afraid. You feel uncertain. You're not sure how things are going to go or what it's going to look like. And you can feel that way in life. The greatest empowerment is this. To know that you're headed in the right direction. How much more confident can we be when we know, listen, I'm not trying to just figure this out on my own. God is leading me through the work of the Holy Spirit. We can do that and we can learn to do that and embrace that and be empowered by that. And that's what Paul's talking about 
in Romans chapter 8. Now we're going to get there in just a minute, but I want to give you a little context about this premise and this principle of being led. Because see, we all need and want to be led, but being led is hard. Why would you think being led is hard? I know why it's hard for me, because I like being in control. I like doing the leading. I don't like when other people are leading. I want to lead. But guess what? There's a moment where I, when I surrender, the things that have happened in my life that have marked my life and made a significant impact in me growing in who God's called me to be, can I tell you where it came from? Surrender. I had to determine I'm not going to be the one leading. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit lead. Well, that happens to an individual that we're about to read his words in Romans 8. You see, we've been reading a lot about the disciples, but there was another key individual that really understood and began to learn what it looked like to be spirit-led and his interaction with the Holy Spirit. It was an individual by the name of Saul, but Saul was on a journey to a town called Damascus, and he had an interaction with the Lord. And it says that the Lord blinded him, and in Acts chapter 9, Saul becomes Paul. He gives his life to Jesus. And then God sends Paul to a man's house. He tells him to go to a man named Ananias' house. Now imagine if you're Ananias. The Lord comes and speaks to Ananias and says, hey, this guy Saul that you've been hearing about, he's been persecuted, even killing Christians. Uh, I want you to have him over for dinner and let him stay the night. What would you do? I'd be like, Lord, I think you need, you got the wrong house. I think you meant to hit the address next to me, okay? But Ananias listens. Saul comes in, Paul, Ananias prays for him. The Bible says that it was like scales that fell off of his eyes and he began to see. Now here is Paul. Now he is in the middle of the action. He becomes a central figure in building the church. He's reaching people. He is preaching the gospel. He is seeing miracles happen. And he is doing the work of building the kingdom. In fact, as he's doing this, he's not just doing it in his own strength or doing it in the things that he's learned. He, too, is learning just like we have to learn what it looks like to be spirit-led. In fact, there was a moment. In Acts 16, this is called the Macedonian call. He's going to this region in this area. In Acts 16.6, it actually says this. It says that the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching. Paul's talking and going, we wanted to go to this particular area. We wanted to share, but the Holy Spirit said, hold on. In fact, in verse 7, it goes on, and he says this. The Spirit would not allow them to actually go. What was he learning? He's going, I'm learning what it looks like to be Spirit-led. He's doing perhaps even good things, but yet he's learning to be Spirit-led. And so he's learning and developing just like you and me. See, because you could think this and go, okay, Chris, I hear you, but like, I'm not Paul. Like, I'm not going to a whole group of people trying to, to share Jesus with them. I'm just trying to make it through the day. I'm just trying to, like, you know, still not kill my kids, you know, and just make sure they're fed and, you know, bathed and go to bed on time, you know. I'm just trying to make it through work, make it through. Listen, the same spirit that led Paul in doing what God called him to do is the same spirit that can lead you to be the spouse, to be the parent to be the employee, to be the business owner, the leader, the individual that God has called you to be. So don't think, oh, well, we're looking at this guy's life and I don't really relate to him and what God's called him to do. No, no, there is a purpose God's called you to do. 
And the same way that Paul needed the Spirit to lead him is the same way that we need the Spirit to lead us. Whether you're a young person walking into your campus in a few months, whether you're a mom, a dad, whether you're a single individual, whether you are engaged, whether you're about to have your first child, or anything in between, we all need the Spirit of the Lord to help us. We need His empowerment and the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And so Paul's writing. And so Paul's had this interaction. He's learning and he's growing. And then he writes Romans chapter 8 to the church in Rome. And Romans chapter 8 is significant because Romans chapter 8 is probably one of the most encouraging chapters. It, it starts out with, with, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He ends with uh, that God works everything out for the good of those who call, are, are called according to his purpose. Those who love him and are called. He, he works those things out for the good. And, and so he, he's writing this chapter, and here's what he says about what it looks like to be spirit-led in Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 5. It says, In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You see, the problem with the law is that none of us can fully meet it. We can't do it in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own power. But we have to choose. Paul's saying, listen, there are two options here. You can be led by the flesh or you can be led by the spirit. You choose. You determine what that's going to look like. And you're going, really? Chris, are you serious? This is it? Like, this is what you're telling me. These are my options? Like, what is that? Is this only for like a few small group of people? Is this like for a set group of people, just like super Christians or people that really, you know, they've been going to church for a long time. Who is this for? This is for everyone because here's what Paul does. He then sums it up in verse 14 and watch what he says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. In other words, if you've given your life to Jesus and you're a child of God, then an indicator of that is that you can live life spirit-led. You can be spirit-led. So what is it that, that leads us? I, I want us to look because when you look at these things, we all need the, the, the Holy Spirit to help us and lead us. Whether it's in our family whether it's in our challenges and the situations, the decisions that we need to make. We all need the Holy Spirit to lead. We're all making decisions every day, all day long, choices to make. And so it can be hard, and you have to determine what's going to lead me, the flesh or the spirit. I have a choice. What's it going to be? But then not only do you have the external things that come from life where you have to choose, then you have your own personality, People have personalities. Maybe you're a little like me. You got control issues. I'm not like real big on, hey, you know, I like to know. I want to know. I want to maximize. I'm going to go. Let's do this, this, this. And, and look, it may get a lot of stuff done, but if I'm not careful, I could be being led by something other than the Spirit. In fact, when you look at it, what is it that we are led by? Paul gives us three things here in this scripture. Three things that lead us. First is this, the flesh. The flesh leads you. It, well, the, the flesh is essentially this. We do what we feel like doing. You're going to do what you want to do when you're led by the flesh. Uh, we talk to people all the time. I, Wendy and I both, I talk to people, and the thing that 
boils down to this one phrase so often. Pastor Chris, I just deserve to be happy. I just want to be happy. Well, you can try and be happy, but at the end of the day, if you're led by the flesh and you're pursuing your happiness, it's going to end up in you being in a place that you do not want to be because it will produce a fruit that you actually do not want. You're led by feelings and emotions. Now, we need to listen to our feelings and emotions, but we don't need to be led by them. We do what comes natural, what culture says. Or, or we follow human reason and logic. Can I tell you, that happens so often. I'll give you an example. Wendy and I do a lot of premarital counseling. And one of the things that we'll talk about often in premarital counseling is we're having conversations. You know, we'll talk about, and, and most of the time, because they're meeting with the pastor, they're kind of like, Pastor Chris, I just want you to know, you know, like, you know, I just want you to know, we're, we've been living together, and, you know, but, but we stay in separate rooms. I'm like, okay, how's that working? Probably it, you know, work for a couple of hours maybe. Well, you know, it just, it, it makes sense because, I mean, financially it makes sense. And, you know, we want to get to know each other and we want to, you know. Okay, that all makes a bunch of sense. But here's the problem. While that may line up to human reason and logic, it doesn't line up to God's word. And so at the end of the day, it's going to produce something that you actually do not want in your life because you're being led by the flesh. But God has something better in store for you. He has something better. But human logic says, well, this makes sense to me. And we do it all the time. Can I tell you, when you're spirit-led, the spirit will lead you to do something that does not line up with human reason and logic. It doesn't mean you have to be crazy. It doesn't mean you have to go out and do just these ridiculous things. But when the spirit is leading you, Human logic says, well, this makes financial sense. This makes sense. This seems to line up. But God's saying this, and you will be far more blessed being led by the Spirit than led by the flesh. But here's the other thing that Paul says. He says you could be led by the law. You know, you're a rule follower. Thank God for rule followers. You love the law. You want to know why you love the law? Because you can measure it. I'm going to be led by the law. I can see what's going on, what we need to do, what's happening here, there. You know, and here's what begins to happen is that as you do those things, you feel good because you know what? You know where you stand. I like the law because I can check the boxes. I feel real good. And if you're comparing, you're kind of like, man, I ain't as bad as that guy. I, I'm not as bad as that individual. But if you are led by the law alone, it's only a matter of time where you will eventually end up in a place that you do not want to be because being led by the law alone by itself will not produce the fruit that you want. In fact, Paul wrote, he said, it is the law that simply produces more sin in our life. You can't just be led. But here's the thing. We like the law because we like to be in control. Well, I like to be in control. I want to control the situation, but it's not going to produce what you want. But here's the thing. You can also then in turn be led by the Spirit. You see, the Spirit changes our want to. You begin to, you begin to, 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 to determine ahead of time. You say, I'm going to predetermine to say yes to what he asks. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God to do the things that only he can do. I'm going to believe that God's vision for my life, God's purpose, his destiny, his version of my life is better than the version that I can try and create in my own strength. You see, he has something greater. He has something better for you. I, I, I think of it this way. I, I can remember this example. We've used it before. I've used it before. 
But when you think about these three elements and these three aspects of life, it's kind of like a cup filled with dirt. Your life, you, you've got, you've just kind of, you've just done some, and when you're led by the flesh, it's kind of like you just, there's dirt all up in your life. And then at a certain point, you're like, you know what, I, I need to get my life, I came to church, you know, I heard God's word, I need to get my life right. So you do what seems natural. Let's just try and pull the dirt out with my hands. You ever tried to get dirt out with your hands? It's just, it's everywhere. It doesn't work. But then when you're led by the Spirit, here's what begins to happen. The Spirit of God begins to come in and it begins to flush out things that otherwise you could not flush out in your own strength. It begins to bring a cleansing and a purification that when you're spirit-led, you're going, God, I'm trusting you. I can't do this in my own strength. I'm trusting you to do a work that only you can do. The flesh won't produce it. The law won't produce it. But your spirit can produce something in me that otherwise I can't do in my own strength. You see, so you, you see these things, you hear these things. We all want to be led, but, but how do we get there? What does that look like? How, how do we, how do, I want to make it real practical just over the next few minutes because you're going, all right, I hear what you're saying, Chris. You, I get the idea. We need to be spirit-led, but how? How are we led by the spirit? First is this, we have to cultivate the right environment. What environment are you cultivating? God, I mean, the Holy Spirit, God can do whatever he wants. He can go wherever he wants. But the Holy Spirit is not in every environment. You have to cultivate an environment for the Holy Spirit to be. Because he is a person. you got to welcome him in. In fact, the Bible said you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve him. Paul wrote this. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, In 32, he said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, what would grieve him? Let's think about our environments, our homes that we create, our interactions, the conversations. Let's think about our businesses, the teams you lead at work, the teams you're a part of, maybe the business you own and you run. What would Well, here's what it is. Get rid of what? All bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. You see, if you have these things evident and, uh, and they're in the environment that you're living in and that you're stewarding in, you're not going to be led by the Spirit because because you haven't created an environment that is conducive for him or welcomed him. But you can. You can. Because Paul goes on and here's what he says. He says, but be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. You see, when, when you begin to operate in your home and the conversations you have with your spouse, there's kindness and there's compassion. Can I tell you something? You're creating an environment. For the Holy Spirit. Think about the words that you speak. Think about the way you react rather than respond to your spouse or to your children. We've all done it. I'm guilty. Am I being kind and compassionate? Or am I feeling I have to defend myself? Am I feeling I have to, if I don't protect me, no one else will? Maybe there's forgiveness you need to extend. It doesn't mean that what someone did was okay, but you can still extend forgiveness and God can work and move in a mighty way. You see, you become spiritually handicapped when you're relationally unhealthy. You're spiritually handicapped. So we have to recognize what Paul is saying is the person of the Holy Spirit wants to come into the environment that you are living in. But if you're going, we want the Holy Spirit in our home, but you're not creating an environment that's conducive to cultivating His presence, He's not going to be where He's not welcome. So when you begin to cultivate that, 
you begin to put yourself in a position to be led by the Holy Spirit. Which then, here's the second thing we do. If you're going to be led by the Spirit, we have to remember that the Word and the Spirit always agree. They're not in opposition. They're not in opposition. You see, John 1 says that the that Jesus, He is the living Word. And what does He do? He gives us revelation to understand His written Word. And so there is not an opposition. They're not in contradiction. They complement one another. And what begins to happen is the Word of God begins to open us up. The Spirit of God begins to bring clarity to what the Word of God is saying. And they work hand in hand. They complement the Trinity. When you look from the very beginning, the Trinity was always working together. You see, it's like in your own home if you're a parent. If you got one child, you know they're gonna try and work you. How I many you know what I'm talking about? If you got more than one boy, they're gonna get you. You better get they're gonna gang up on you. You better watch out. What are they gonna do? They're gonna come and they're gonna go, hey, can I do this? Now I'm at the place. I'm like, well, what'd your mama say? Because guess what? Me and mama, we're on the same page. Now, me and her may have a conversation about something so we can get on the same page afterwards offline, but there's something happens when there's agreement in the home. You see, God's word and God's spirit, there is agreement that brings a confidence to move forward. So you go, I know what God is saying to me, and so I know I can be led in the decisions I need to make because his word and his spirit line up. The spirit of God is not going to tell you, go cheat on your spouse. The Spirit of God is not going to say, oh, here's a business opportunity, but this could get you arrested. That's not God, can I tell you? That's the enemy. It, it's real obvious. Why? Because it doesn't line up with His Word. They're not in opposition. You can be Spirit-led by remembering that those two work hand-in-hand in agreement. You can be led by the Spirit when you listen for an inner witness. I love this scripture in Romans 8, 16, it says the Spirit himself, the very Spirit, the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What does that mean? He's testifying, well, when I give my life to Jesus, I have a conscience. When I give my life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to speak to my conscience, begins to testify, begins to highlight and remind me of God's word, begins to speak. And as I begin to yield to the spirit of God and I listen to what he is telling me, I begin to become more confident about how and where he is leading me. And as I begin to walk in obedience to the things that the Lord is speaking to me through the working of the Holy Spirit, what begins to happen? I begin to grow in my relationship with him. I begin to become more confident because as I yield to him, he begins to speak and develop and grow me. There's an inner witness. And what begins to happen is I become more confident in my commitment to the Lord. Julie Mullins, for our women's event, she shared this, and I wasn't there, but I heard about this. Many of you men, you weren't there either. But she said something very profound. She said, we don't need a church of individuals that are connected. Connection's good. We want people to be connected. That's true. We work hard to get, I mean, you hear us talk about next step, next step. We want you to get connected. She said this, we need a church of individuals that are committed. Committed to the cause of Christ. Committed to reaching the lost. Committed to fulfilling the great commission. You see, what begins to happen is there's an inner voice inside of you that goes, I don't want to just be connected. I want to be committed. And you begin to do things outside of what you may normally do. 
And I was reminded of that because when I think back on what God did at the women's event, so many women that came over 20 first-time guests. Why? Because there were women that were up here going, I'm not just worried about being connected. I want to serve. I want to prepare a place for other people to come. And then I actually want to invite people to come and be a part. And you have all these first-time guests because ladies were taking a step not to just go, I want to be connected. They're going, I want to be committed. Where did that come from? It's an inner witness. It testifies with what God's word is saying and what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Which then allows us to do this. We make room for discernment of gifts and praying in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12. When you think of the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about these gifts of the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 12 actually says that the gifts of the Spirit are manifestations for a common good. What, what is that? Well, remember, we are empowered for a God purpose. There is power for purpose. And so the Holy Spirit gives gifts. One of the gifts that he gives is discernment. So what happens is when the Holy Spirit gives you a gift of discernment, it's an ability to discern a situation. You can walk into a business meeting, and by being led by the Holy Spirit, you always know, you've been in business meetings before, there's always an underlying motive, directive. The Spirit of God, through the working of the Holy Spirit, can lead you in that you can have supernatural discernment to discern with wisdom the decision that needs to be made in a very practical way in your everyday walk in business decisions that you need to make. Where does that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Being led by the Holy Spirit. And what begins to happen is it not only becomes a gift to you, but most importantly, it becomes a gift to other people. Then there's times where you go, well, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. The Bible actually says that the Spirit will pray through you in tongues and utterances. But it doesn't mean that you don't simply understand. It doesn't mean that you are unaware. In fact, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. You see, what happens is this. It's not about when you're led by the Spirit, you just have a lobotomy and you don't understand what's going on and you're, you're absent to what's happening. The Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you and directing you. He's, and those gifts are coming out of you and you're being led in a way that impacts your life, but in turn impacts others around you. You see, when we pray in the Spirit, you get a supernatural understanding of what's happening in the spiritual realm. We are physical people living in a spiritual world. We have to remember that. I think we forget that. Well, I'm a physical person. I'm just bumping along. What are you going to do today? It's Father's Day. I'm going to the lake. I'm going to grill. I'm going to barbecue. That's the context we think in. We are physical people, but we are living in a spiritual world. There is something that's going on spiritually. And when I pray in the Spirit, when I'm led by the Holy Spirit, I get a supernatural spiritual understanding of what is actually going on. And the Holy Spirit helps us in that. And then here's the last thing that will help you understand and recognize what does it look like to be led by the Spirit, it's that we begin to prioritize trusted voices. I don't, I don't want to minimize this. It can seem obvious. It can seem, okay, well, that makes sense. And, you know, we talk about seeking wisdom and counsel. And, and yes, we have a counselor in the Holy Spirit, but God also will use people to help bring that, these trusted voices. In fact, Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but many advisors, but with many advisors, they succeed. You see, I've often found that people 
that are led by the flesh, they don't take counsel very well. They've got opinions, but they don't really take counsel well. But, but when you're led by the Spirit and not by the flesh, what I've recognized is this. Those people tend to be teachable. They, they tend to embrace and seek out wisdom and counsel to get godly perspective. They, they recognize they don't have to be their own defender, that the Holy Spirit will defend them. And, and what begins to happen is they recognize that they don't have to be rushed. You see, what happens is this, the flesh will drive us. Have you ever felt pressure to make a decision? You feel rushed. The flesh will drive you, but the spirit will lead you. We're sheep. We're not cattle. You were never meant to be driven. So if you're ever in a moment where you feel anxious and I got to make a decision right now, I got to make a decision right now, stop a minute and ask yourself, why do I feel that way? Here's typically why you feel that way. Because you feel like you're going to miss out. So you're like, all right, what do I do? I mean, do I hop on Bitcoin? Do I not? Do I get doji? Do I not? Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And you feel rushed. And then you make a rash decision and you throw a bunch of money in some cryptocurrency. And then you're upset and wonder why. Where did I lose all my money? Or you have all this money and it's locked up in some hard drive you can't open like the guy that has one password left to figure out $200 million. Okay? You want to know where that comes from? The pressure of being led by the... If you just slow down. Stop a minute and be led by the Spirit. So how do we know? How, how do we know when we're being Spirit-led? Real simple. Paul says it, Galatians 15. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You know you're being Spirit-led when you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Paul says this, Galatians. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, it's peace. Peace. The people that I recognize that are really spirit-led, they're people that have peace in their life. The people that I talk to that, 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 that really are spirit-led, and I, and I ask them, hey, what... What led you to make that decision or not make that decision? They said, I just, I didn't have a peace about it. There's a peace. You say, ask yourself, is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life, in your marriage? Is your spouse seeing the fruit of the Spirit? Not not the fruit they want. Is the fruit of the Spirit, are you, because we can want to be led by the Holy Spirit all day long. But if the fruit of the Spirit isn't evident, then perhaps we're not being led by the Spirit at all, which means we're either being led by the law or the flesh, and it won't produce what we want in our life. But God has something better. We don't have to work to make it happen. The Holy Spirit can lead us and guide us. And my prayer for each of us is that we would experience what that looks like.